This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you my brothers and sisters? Inshallah khair. My brothers and sisters, we're moving away today slightly from the topic of Salat and I want to talk about a very complex and long subject but I'm going to summarize it in this lesson. Can you imagine that? I think that a lot of people still lack in understanding this very important pillar of Islam which comes straight after Salat. Who can know what it is? What is the third pillar of Islam? Anyone knows? Zakat. <laughs> I was getting worried there. It's Shahada, Salat, Zakat. And then fasting Ramadan, Psalm, and Hajj for whoever is able to do so. Brothers and sisters, why Zakat? After Zakat, I'm going to talk about a little bit about Islamic wills. And after that, I want to talk a little bit about Islamic inheritance. These are huge topics, but I'm going to just tell you the basics of what we need to know, inshallah ta'ala, in our daily lives. And then if you have any questions afterwards, go ahead, inshallah. So, why zakat? It is the third compulsory pillar of Islam. It is mentioned and repeated in the Quran over 38 times. Allah says repeatedly, pay the zakat, give the zakat, produce the zakat. Not only that, it is also repeated in the Quran, it is also repeated in the Quran, together with salat, salat and zakat, together, straight after each other, 28 times in the Quran. There is no other pillar of Islam or action of Islam or practice that is mentioned like that together as pairs as much as salat and zakat establish your salat and give the zakat it's highly important in islam it is so important and so serious to be mentioned in the quran that many times in fact allah says in surah al-imran Verse 180. So Allah says, those who are stingy in what Allah has granted them out of his bounty think that their stinginess is good for them. It is bad for them. What they were stingy about will turn into a halter around their necks on the day of resurrection, to Allah belongs the inheritance of the heavens and the earth. 
And Allah is well aware of what you do. A halter is like a head collar. You put around horses and things to steer them. On the day of judgment, they'll be steered with that wealth that they were stingy with and not produce their zakat. This verse is amazing because listen to what it's basically saying. It's telling us, Allah is saying, listen, everything in the heavens, everything you see in this universe and beyond and on earth, all of it belongs to Allah. All of it belongs to Allah. We just came into this world and here it is. All of man's possessions and what we use in our life, everything, everything that we possess, we use, are merely transient. Transient means they're just with us temporarily and they're going away from us. They're going to go to someone else. And then from them, they'll pass on to someone else. And from them, so nothing really, we own nothing. It's all temporary. And it belongs to Allah in the beginning and the end. These temporary belongings, which you and I have, are only temporary and they will be stripped away from us sooner or later upon death. And where will they return to? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we give from it, we are in fact giving from what belongs to Allah. Our wealth, our money, our possessions, everything that we give from it, we are not really giving it from ourselves. We are giving from what we are entrusted with, which is temporarily with us. Allah is testing us with it. He's seeing what you will do with it. Will you maintain the trust in it or will you become arrogant and miserly? And if you do give, you are giving from what belongs to Allah and Allah rewards you tremendously for giving from what belongs to Him in the first place. That's because of His mercy. So, hoarding and refusing to spend our wealth in that way which pleases Allah is a foolish act by anybody. Zakat, my dear brothers and sisters, literally means in Arabic literally means a purification a cleansing a growth or raising the value of something that something which you are raising the value of is yourself and your wealth the thing which you are purifying is yourself and your wealth the thing which you are cleansing is yourself and your wealth how you see as Imam Shafi says and great scholars even experts who are non-Muslims today, entrepreneurs and billionaires, they tell you this. They say that your wealth and your richness is not with how, much, how many coins and notes you have or how much gold and silver you have or with the property and assets that you have. Your richness is really comes down to how free are you and independent from being enslaved by your wealth. You control this world. You control the wealth. The wealth does not control you. The moment we start to hoard it and save it up in a way where we're miserly and stingy, we are letting ourselves become enslaved by the world and by materialism. Wallahi, if you hear experts, entrepreneurs of, yani very successful financially, they will tell you 
And I've had meetings actually with billionaires and millionaires overseas in my travel. Whether Muslim or non-Muslim, they always told me one thing, which till today none of them has explained it to me properly, but I know from Islam. They say we make money for some reason. Number one, by not trying to hold on to it. We've got to keep it circulating. We've got to keep giving. And they all tell me this. And we make it a priority that part of our wealth we give in charity. These are people who love wealth more than anything in this world. And in order to make wealth and to be free and enjoy their wealth, they say we give in charity. There's something special about giving in charity. We don't know what it is, but it comes back. And it is true for the Muslim and the non-Muslim. This is the sunnah of Allah in this world. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا Whatever you give forward in the path that is good, whatever you give in good, whatever you give of your goodness, Allah says in the end, فَهُوَ يُخْلِفُهُ He is the one who will compensate you. He really will, in this world and in the next. How? It doesn't mean if you give $10, Allah is going to automatically give you $100 back. It's not how it is. Wealth has many meanings. There is wealth of skills, wealth of knowledge, wealth of expertise, wealth of leadership, wealth of influence. It's not just the money that we have, these paper notes in our pocket. And my brothers and sisters, that wealth, that money, what is it worth if it's in my pocket and your pocket? That $1,000 that is in my pocket, what is it worth if I don't use it? What value has it got? It's just the paper that is in my pocket or a piece of plastic. But the moment you circulate it and give it, it starts to have value and meaning and you see the circulation coming back to you. Now, of course, Islam doesn't tell you to just open your hand up widely and just foolishly give your money away. Not in that way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did place boundaries. He just told you, use it in the way that I have guided you. So Allah, for example, says, don't do israf. Don't be wasteful. Just spending without thinking, without managing, just all over the place and just thinking of your desire. Number two, he said, don't be stingy. Also, Allah says that there is a limit. There is a limit that you have to reach before you must give zakat. The compulsory almsgiving. And with sadaqah, with giving in charity, Allah says, give what you can. And do not forget your own needs and your family's needs. So it's not just give and that's it, foolishly. There is a system in place. But use it in the way that Allah, earn it in the right way, spend it in the right way, keep it circulating. Islam recommends that we keep our wealth going. Investing is good. Rasulullah seems to love business, for example. Investing is good, but invest it in halal. But don't forget about your needs and your family needs. Anyway, in a nutshell, you purify yourself and you free yourself from being enslaved to materialism. That's true richness. The Islamic definition of zakat is as follows. It is a specific amount or percentage that you must give from your accumulated wealth which you have not used. In other words, surplus wealth. And this wealth has been with you for one full year, Hijri year, according to the Islamic calendar. And this wealth has reached a certain amount, a threshold. In Arabic, in Islam, we call it nisab. I repeat, zakat is a specific minimum amount or percentage that you must give from your accumulated wealth 
which you have not used, surplus wealth, and this wealth has been with you for one full year, Hijri year, and this wealth has reached a certain amount, the threshold, the Nisab. I'm talking about zakat of wealth. There is another zakat called zakat al-fitr, which we give at the end of Ramadan. Very quickly, it's very simple. It's uh, uh, four, two, four handfuls, four, two handfuls, four, that's how much or more, of uh, six types of grains and legumes, uh, such as wheat, uh, um, uh, um, chickpeas, um, uh, rice, uh, oats, and there's two others. But the point is, you give uh, that non-perishable items or foods to the poor and the needy at the end of Ramadan. Here in Australia and around the world, uh, scholars get together and they tell us how much it's supposed to be. So we estimate it in money, and it's about $12 or $13 or $14, something like that. It's about three, three to four kilos, I think, kilograms. And uh, this is given to the poor and needy at the end of Ramadan before Eid al-Fitr. As for zakat of wealth, that's the more complex one for us to understand. So, the threshold. Remember how I told you you have to have enough wealth and when you reach that limit, then you must give zakat. This threshold is called a nisab. Each type of wealth has a specific threshold, nisab. And I'm going to go through them, inshallah, one by one. Here are the four types of wealth that you must give zakat for. How many types of wealth? Only four. Nothing else. If you asked me, what do I have to have zakat for? Which wealth? I tell you. And you say, only four types of wealth. You must produce zakat by owning them. Number one, gold, silver, and money. They're the same thing. That's the first type of wealth. The second one is trade stock. If you have something that you have put for sale, which you buy and sell. Number three, livestock, farm animals. Number four, non-perishable crops, grains and legumes, wheat, rice, corn, chickpeas, beans, if you farm them, and dried fruit like dates and sultanas. These are people who farm. And livestock, people who farm, who have cows and cattle and sheep and things like that. The most important one for us is the gold, silver, and money, and business stock, isn't it? So we're going to talk about each one, inshallah ta'ala. In order to pay zakat, there are three main conditions. Number one, your wealth has to reach a nisab, a threshold, a certain amount. Number two, one whole year has to pass. And number three, you must be Muslim. Zakat is not compulsory upon a non-Muslim. It doesn't matter about your age. Even a child, if they have wealth that has reached this amount and one year has passed, if you put, let's say, savings for your child, you as the guardian must produce the zakat for your child's wealth until they are able to do it themselves, old enough. Is this clear so far? Okay. Brothers and sisters, you know the zakat system only exists in Islam and no other religion. Every other religion has what they call charity, almsgiving. In Islam we have charity too. It's called sadaqah. Your honesty of 
giving and generosity. But the difference between charity and zakat is that charity is voluntary. And there's no amount. You can give any much you like to whoever you will, anytime. But the zakat is specific. There is a timing for it. There is an amount. And it is compulsory. It's compulsory also on every Muslim who has reached puberty. If it's a child, as we said, the guardian is responsible. And if you look around the world, the poor and poverty around the world, the latest data shows us that 80% of people in 80% of countries in the world, of people in the world, live on less than $30 a day with their families. And more than 60% of the world population live on less than uh, on less than $10 a day and about 10% of them live on less than $1.40 a day. These are people in extreme poverty. Here in Australia we don't see that much. We see some homeless people but in general it's hard to find them who live like this. But if this is the percentage of people in the world, why are they like that? Did you know that the zakat system in Islam is the only system in history? You can look it up, go ahead. In history of civilization, of human history, in this world, where there came a long period of time, I'm talking hundreds of years, where it was so hard to find poor enough people who qualify to receive charity and zakat. Only in the Islamic world, in the, in the uh, empire, the Khilafah, the, 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 the Islamic empire. They call them, the West calls it the golden Islamic age, which is about from when the Prophet ﷺ, after he, he left to Medina and Islam started to spread, in the 600s, all the 6th century, all the way, to about the 14th century and it continued until the Ottoman Empire fell where the zakat system was flourishing and in the Islamic world anything under the Islamic Empire for about 400 to 500 years historians such as Ibn al-Athir and and others they tell us that there weren't anyone very hard to find anyone who'll accept or qualifies for the zakat. Among them is Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu when he was the Khalifa, and another one called Umar ibn Abdul Aziz radiallahu anhu ajma'in, and other times in Islamic history. The zakat system goes truly to the people who need it. My brothers and sisters, let's go through it, insha'Allah. Gold, silver, and money. Money, currency, is based on gold. So it's basically the same thing when it comes to zakat. If you have a certain amount of gold, silver, or money that you have saved up and it's been with you for a one full Hijri year, Muharram, Safar, Rabi' al-Awwal, the Islamic calendar, which is a little bit less than the Gregorian calendar. It's about 11 days shorter. You need to, you have to, produce and pay 2.5% of that wealth that you have. The gold, money, and silver. How much gold are you supposed to have for you to have to pay the 
zakat of it, you have to have a minimum of 85 grams of gold. How much do you have to have minimum of silver? 858 grams of silver. How much do you have to have money? As much as either 85 grams of gold or 858 grams of silver. You might ask me now, but silver and gold are very, very far apart. 858 grams of uh, silver is about, is about 50, $56. Sorry, um, uh, it's about um, $506 currently now 85 grams of gold is about four thousand seven hundred dollars Australian dollars big difference so which one do I go by four thousand seven hundred of gold or I go by the silver five hundred and six dollars that I have to have money is based on gold but in the past gold and silver were the same as time went on silver started to go down gold stayed where it is so the scholars of today tell us, majority of them say, why don't you base it on silver? Because the poor and the needy can benefit more. So if you have about 500 or $600 saved up for one whole year or more, give 2.5% of that. Do you know the difference between silver and gold? If you, know, if you say... But I want to go by 4700 Others, they say, no, I'm going to go by silver, $500. I say the difference is between $13 and $100 difference. 2.5% of the gold is about $100 Australian. The 2.5% of silver would be about $13 Australian. Why not give that to the poor and the needy? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So each year, the scholars here in Australia, they get together... And they send out a paper on the internet, on Facebook and so on. They tell us, how much do you have to have of money to pay zakat? And they come up with 4,000 something. And then they advise you. They said, but we prefer that you go by the silver. So about $500. If you have $500 or more, give 2.5% of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or not? I chose a tough topic today. Okay. In simple terms... If you have more than $500 accumulated for one whole year, give 2.5% of that to the poor and the needy. Good? <laughs> Which is about 13 bucks. If more, 2.5%. Tayyib. One full year. This is how it works. Today is July. All right? Or let's say 1st of August next month. You've got to look at the Islamic calendar. What are we in right now? What are we in right now? What is it? Dhul Hijjah. 27 Dhul Hijjah. So let's say 1st of Muharram. 12 months later, count how much money you've got saved up. Whatever you've got, pay 2.5% of that. Some people, they do Ramadan to Ramadan. Let's say it's Ramadan. Every Ramadan, they pay their zakat. That's one full year. Every Ramadan, count how much money you've got, pay 2.5% of that. Just do that. But 
I advise people change it from Ramadan to another month. Because if everybody gave only Ramadan, the poor and the needy people only get it in Ramadan. What about the rest of the months? Are poor people only poor in Ramadan? I know you want the rewards, but it's a greater reward to give when people are in need. That's the whole purpose. So change your months and make your years different. Say every, uh, uh, you know, every one year from this date, I will give my zakat 2.5%. Now, you know gold and silver. If your mothers or your wives, because most men don't have gold and silver, most men, but if you do have it, you pay 2.5% of your gold and silver if it is not used. The majority of scholars, majority, say that the gold and silver, the jewelry, which you use even once or twice a year, you do not pay zakat on that. But if you've just saved it up, because you're investing it or you're, you just want it to grow and you never use it, then you should pay 2.5% of your gold and silver. And that relieves our sisters who have lots of jewelry, okay, from paying their zakat. But it makes it hard on the husbands because they've got to buy the jewelry. Okay, that joke went out the window. I'm going to keep going. Okay, no one understood it. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Trade stock. Anything you trade with. Money. I mean, cars, phones, uh, houses, land. Anything you trade in. Services. Well, not services. It has to be products. Anything that you buy in order to put for sale. Anything you buy in order to put for sale. If its value that you have is more than 85 grams of gold or 858 grams of silver, which is about more than $500. If that stock, which you have put with the intention of selling, is still with you at the end of one full year, and you haven't sold it, guess what? You're going to give zakat 2.5% of its wholesale value. If you were to put all of it for sale, wholesale value, you give 2.5% of that. Is that understood? Is that clear? One brother said, I bought a land. Do I have to pay zakat on that land every year? What's the answer? Hmm? Not unless you're trading it. If the intention when you bought the land is so that you can sell it later on, you bought it with that intention as a trade, then you have to pay 2.5% each year. If you bought it and you don't know if you might change your mind, you might invest it, you might sell it, you might not, you don't have to pay zakat unless you are absolutely sure from the beginning you had that intention. Even when you buy the land, let's say two years down the track, you say, you know what, I have this land and it's going up in price. I'm going to start I'm going, and now I have the intention of selling it and making profit on it. From that moment you made the intention, count one year. If the year has passed and you have not sold it, you have to pay 2.5% because your intention now has turned the land into a trade. Anything that's turned into a trade, if the property is still with you, you have to pay 2.5% of that. But if you're not sure, 
you're in doubt, maybe, maybe I'm not, you don't pay zakat, unless you're sure. Any questions about land? Property? Just in summary, it's as simple as that. Good? It has to be more than $500 worth. All right. Now, mm, a house, and you rent it. Good question. You have a house, and you don't live in it, and you gave it out for rent. Do you pay zakat on the rent or on the house itself? The zakat is on the rent, not on the house. But if you had the house, you bought it, you're not renting it, and it's for sale, you bought it to sell, if it's still with you after a year, you pay 2.5% of its value. If you rent it out, you pay 2.5% of what? Only if the rent that you received has been with you for one full year and it is above the nisab. Let's say I rented out a house and after six months I made $10,000. Then I used that $10,000 and it went. And now I have, I don't have it anymore. Then six months later, I had another 10000 Do I pay zakat on 20000 or 10000 Neither, because it's six months. One year is passed, I pay whatever I have. Okay? It's very easy. Any profit you make, just wait one year. If you still have savings above $500 or so, pay zakat on it. Is this understood? So you invested in a stock market. On the, on the percentage that you own, on the shares that you own, not on the profit, not on the profit, on the shares that you own. Number three, this one, you, you guys, do anyone, anyone run a farm here? Do you all do, anyone does farming? Anyone got cows and cattle that you sell? Come on, give yourself up. Come on. We want to know who the rich people are here. Who are the agriculturists? Well, no, we're not up to the agriculturists here. We're up to the farmers. You got sheep. You got cattle. Uh, if you have a land and you have sheep on it, you have uh, goats, you have cattle. Anyone got camels? <laughs> no one has camels. Hey, honey, Islam talked about it. If you have livestock on a farm, then it depends how much you have of it. I'll just give you a couple of examples just to, for the sake of it. Let's say you had sheep and goats. If you have between 40 to 120 heads of sheep or goats, then you have to produce one, one lamb or one sheep that is four or five years old and you give it in zakat. Uh, let's say you had 120 to 200 heads of sheep and goat. You give two sheep that are four or five years old. I know you're not going to remember this, but I'm just giving you just to sort of so you can understand that in Islam there's even precise, precise calculated zakat for everything. And it's all fair. 
it's all fair. And if you were to look at it, if you're mathematicians, you could look at it. You really know about finance and stuff like that. You would say, what an amazing system it is. What an amazing system it is. It is so fair and so precise and you never go broke with it. In fact, you'll make money out of it. Let's say cattle. If you have 30 to 39 heads of cows, you've got to give one calf, which is three years old. Just an example. Let's say you had camels. If you had between five and nine heads of camels, you've got to give one sheep or one goat that is two years old. It's so precise. Do you understand? And the list goes on. Let's move now to the fourth type of wealth, and it is called non-perishable grains, legumes, grains, legumes, and dried fruit. What's a legume? See, I did one year of agricultural science, and you told me don't use big words, so I'm going to try. I thought you'll know legumes. All right. So let's just call them crops. Crops. Crops that you plant as seeds and they grow. So anything without a trunk, the only has a stem. These are all called crops, grains and legumes. Grains are usually seeds, and legumes are kind of the same thing. So they are things like chickpeas, wheat, corn, beans. You understand what we're talking about? This type of stuff. Um, dried fruit, so dates, sultanas. So long as the crops and dried fruit can be weighed in a scale and they can be stored in normal temperature. So apples, oranges, can they be stored? Are they non-perishable? No. Apples, if you keep it for a week outside, they start to decay, isn't it? Oranges, bananas, you don't pay zakat on that. You only pay zakat on crops that you have grown on your farm, in your land, and they are non-perishable, and they can be weighed. All right? Anyone do, does farming here? No one does farming. But just in case anyone around the world who's listening and does farming. That farming, my dear brothers and sisters, just to show you the, how Islam is so intricate about the rights of others. You have to have about 650 kilograms of that. As soon as you harvest it, you've got to give. How much do you, how much do you give? If, <laughs> it gets more technical. If you're the one who waters it, it's called the artificial irrigation. You water it. You've got to give 5% of it. But if you, the rain waters it, you've got to give 10% of it. You don't have to memorize all this. But I want you to appreciate how detailed. Only Islam has this. And maybe the Jew, Jewish religion has a bit more details in, in these things. But Islam is the most complex when it comes to people's rights, business, transactions, trade, charity, zakat, money circulating, Econo economics, if you have an Islamic state, and I mean the, the real Islamic state, the Islamic Khilafah, all of this solves, wallahi, it solves the problems of all the people, the economic problems, social problems, political problems. Yes, there have been Muslims around the world who betrayed and didn't uphold the trust of how Islam should be, the laws of Islam. So some people can say, what are you talking about? Muslims have done atrocious things. Yes, but they're Muslims, they're people. I'm not talking about people. I am talking about the religion of Islam that does not change. Look at me talking about this stuff 1,400 years later. We still have it to the dot. It's so technical. Do you understand how this is a religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And the fairness is so intricate and detailed, it blows our mind away. Economists have studied 
just the inheritance laws of Islam. And they were mind blown. They said, a few verses in the Quran called Surah An-Nisa, chapter number 5, verses 11, 12, and 13, and the other ones. They said, has explained the entire system of inheritance in such fairness and precisely mathematically calculated. I was saying to the brother, it's like, a, it's a formula, a small formula that solves all the shares of inheritance perfectly and precisely, fairly, and gives responsibilities fairly. This is Islam. A few verses of the Quran in, in, told us the inheritance. And you know, in the West, and that, that, they're still working. And even in, in the legal system, inheritance has still got so many flaws. We have a lawyer here. I've got to be very careful. So you know, you know, in Harvard University, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, I'm okay to be corrected. In the Harvard University, the, in the Faculty of Law School, they have, if you can look at it, you can Google it, they have a whole ayah of the Qur'an on the main entrance of the law school, which they take pride in, an ayah of the Qur'an which talks about justice and fairness. It is so honored because they understand what it means. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing. Let me now move to the more simpler stuff. We all understand this part. What if you owed zakat and you guys have never paid it? Let's say five years have passed and you should have paid your zakat and you didn't pay it. Do you start paying now or do you have to make up for the five years that have passed? Let's say you, you've always had you know, $100,000 in your bank and it's been going up and down a little bit, 80000 100000 200000 150000 and then five years have passed and you never paid zakat for it. This is a debt. Debt owing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the people who are supposed to have that 2.5% of your wealth. Allah says they have a right in that. And if you died with that debt upon you, you will be questioned and punished for it if you knew and deliberately refused. And your heirs, when you die, people inherit you. That property and that wealth left behind, it cannot be distributed to the heirs, to your children and your spouse and your family, whoever has the right to it, until, if they know, if they know that you haven't paid the zakat for the last five years, they have to take out five years worth of zakat from that wealth that is left behind. No one touches it. And they give it to the rightful people, as mentioned in the Quran, before the money, the wealth is distributed to the heirs. Did you know that? Otherwise, it's a debt on his shoulder. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not pray janazah prayer on, in his time on anyone whom he knew owed, owed money or wealth or anything to anyone knowingly. Just him. Once a sahabi died and he asked, is there a debt on your companion? And they said, yes, ya Rasulullah. And they named a, a measurement in that time. In the, it was called dinars, which is equivalent today to about about $2,000 Australian. And he said, Sallu ala akhikum. He walked away and said, Pray Janazah on your brother. And he walked away. One Sahabi, forgot his name, he said, Ya Rasulullah, please pray his Janazah and I will take care of his debts. He said, Khalas, okay. So he prayed on him. Next day he said to him, Aqadayta an akhika dayna. Have you produced, have you paid the debt of your brother? He said, Ya Rasulullah, it's just been yesterday. <laughs> Prophet was so 
you know, insisting. He wants him to pay it. A few days passes. He said, yes, Ya Rasulullah, now I've paid off his debt. He said, Al-ana barada alayhi, baradat alayhi jildatuh. Wa barada alayhi jilduhu. Wa jildatuhu. He said, now his skin has cooled down. Do you understand? That's the debts of zakat owing to Allah. Why is it owing to Allah? Allah doesn't need it. It means owing to the poor, the needy, and the categories of people. We're going to go through the categories of who is entitled to your zakat. There are eight types of categories, eight categories of people and services that you can put your zakat into. So this is owed to them. It's a debt. Debts owing to people personally, also a major sin. If you were able to pay and you didn't, if you are not able to pay your debts, what should you do? You should write a will. That's why, brothers and sisters, I wanted to talk about wills and inheritance because it's connected. All the way, because we've got to hereafter. We're going to be judged about our wealth. It's the most difficult judgment about wealth. Where did you get it from? How did you spend it? Did you produce its rights? Zakat. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the first Khalifa, the companion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he waged war against a people who converted to Islam and after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they refused to pay the zakat. They said it's no longer needed because the Prophet died. They took away one pillar of Islam. He waged war and considered them apostates. That's how serious zakat is. It is what keeps the community going. In a Western world or in a secular world, we have taxes. And in other worlds, other countries, taxes. The difference between the tax system and the zakat system is huge. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a family of six, seven children. You're a hard worker. You do day shifts, night shifts, or maybe you're just a hard worker in the day. You struggle to make ends meet. And you have a huge income. Your salary is big. Let's say you have $200,000, $300,000 salary a year. But most of that wealth is going on the house, going on your family, you know, for some reason, it needs to be spent. By the end of one year, you only have $10,000 saved. Do you pay 2.5% of the 300000 salary or on the 10000 No, you've spent the 300 on your family. Do you pay on the salary, annual salary, or do you pay on the annual accumulation? The annual saved up. You can earn a million dollars a year. But if you've got spending money, you, you, you've got, you've got um, you know, uh, expenditures, and by the end of the year, all you had left is $50,000. Do you pay 2.5% of the $1 million or the $50,000? Huh? Come on, guys. We've been talking for half an hour about this. 50000 You pay on what you've saved. In the tax system, what do you pay on? The 50000 or the million? The million. Before you even get it. Before you got it, the tax is taken out. If you earn over 100 grand, you got over what? About 30? 30%? 34% or something? 30%. 30-something percent of your wealth is taken out. In Islam, it doesn't work like that. It works with, okay, the wealth that you need, you need to spend it on your expenditures. After all that, and one year has passed, if you have saved up, Allah says, pay 2.5% of that. 
amazing. Let's say you inherited, let's say, God forbid, a person's family member died and you inherited a million dollars. And that million dollars stayed with you for a year. Do you pay 2.5% on that? Yes, you do. Do you see? Yani, it's a fair system that does not make anyone go broke. There's even more. There's a riba system, and there is the finance system, and trade. All of those big system in Islam that shows you how people don't go broke. It ensures everybody, even if you go broke, something else picks you up. Someone else picks you up. It's a beautiful system. The Islamic finance system, if you apply it correctly. Okay, let's move on, brothers and sisters. I want to tell you something. The wills, it is so important. Rasul Muhammad said the hadith is in Bukhari. He said, It is a duty upon every Muslim to not let two nights pass without keeping their will updated. It's not compulsory, it's recommended. Especially for people who owe debts, and especially for non-Muslims, uh, sorry, for newly uh, reverted or converted Muslims, whichever word you like. So new Muslims, or people who converted to Islam, especially here in the, in the West, and if you have debts. Why? We understand why debts, and for the people who converted to Islam, here in this country, for example, in Australia, we've had this problem before. Their next of kin has the power of attorney over their wealth, their property, and even their burial. And unfortunately, we've had some, of, some sisters, some brothers I knew personally, years, years back and recently, who converted to Islam. They passed away, rahmatullahi alayhim, may Allah have mercy upon their souls. And they had no will or anything legal for us in the mosque, in the masjid, to bury them the Islamic way or to deal with their property according to Islamic inheritance. And so, either their parents, we had once a brother who converted from Hinduism years back, good friend of mine, rahmatullah alayh, he passed away, no will, his parents cremated him, his property, Allahu alam where it went. We had another sister. We tried, we tried. Her father came, sought some help. Her mother didn't want it, non-Muslim. But unfortunately, the law gave it to the mother. The mother cremated her daughter. She was an atheist. And the daughter, she told us, please take care of, you know, uh, I'm a Muslim. And her father told me this is what my daughter left. But it wasn't, wasn't a legal will. And I advise everyone, if you know that you have family who's non-Muslim, please do a legal will here in Australia. We have brother here, you're a lawyer, tabarakallah, brother uh, uh, Fatmir. We have Muslim lawyers, they can advise you, inshallah. Yani, it's important to leave a legal will because that's the only legal way that we can fulfill your legacy, inshallah, in an Islamic way. I'm going to... Uh, quickly tell you what inheritance is and then we'll stop inshallah brothers and sisters there is a verse an ayah in the Quran Surah An-Nisa a few ayat which is about half a page which sums up how inheritance is distributed in Islam it is a major sin major sin to deny any of your rightful heirs 
any inheritance or to specify or limit how much each one gets you can only do it the way the Quran says every person has an amount every, and it depends on the situation it depends on the circumstance and Allah says in the Quran he makes a very big warning he says these are the boundaries of Allah don't you dare cross them boundaries is, the, is one of the strongest warnings that Allah puts these are the boundaries of Allah and he says do not cross them I warn you not to cross the boundaries inheritance is there you might not know what the inheritance is so seek advice from scholars Muslim organization a mosque have a connection with them if a, a person passed away sit with we have the Board of Imams, we have the Australian National Imams Council, we have Islamic organizations everywhere, we have mosques with Imams there. You can always sit with an Imam and first of all think about what the inheritance should be. We don't follow with inheritance the Australian legal system. The Australian legal system allows us to leave wills behind. But if we don't leave a will behind, it's going to be dealt with the Australian legal way. But if you write a legal will, the Australian legal system allows you, isn't that right, allows you to go by what you have left. It doesn't matter, they don't care. So long as you signed it, you agreed, it's all your power of attorney. You gave power of attorney to someone. It's very important, brothers and sisters. You know, some of you have, have uh, uh, what's it called, um, uh, superannuation. You worked and you have superannuation. What's going to happen to that superannuation? Make a legal will about it. Who's, going, who's, the, next, who's the power of attorney? Who's next of kin? Who's going to take that? Right, these are all important, brothers and sisters. So, the inheritance, the next of kin, the person, whether it's your father, your brother, your, your wife, your husband, your uh, child, make sure that they understand it has to be divided in the Islamic way. I'll give you an example of inheritance. Let's say that you have uh, a son and two daughters and you have a wife and a mother and father. If you died and you left behind an amount, you've got to see, is there debt owing? Give it. Is there zakat owing? Give it. If you've left a will saying, I want to donate part of the money, you have to donate that part first. But you can only donate a third. One third, not more than a third. You cannot write in your will more than a third to donate the rest of it has to be distributed in the following way to your father and mother a sixth each one sixth to your wife an eighth and the rest of it to your son double the share of each girl now you might say, this is a misunderstanding. It's not about a gender thing, guys. You see, father and mother, the mother is female, the father is male, but both of them got equal shares. It's not about gender. Yes, the daughter got less than the, the boy. Yes, your wife got a little bit less than your father or your mother. But you've got to look at the inheritance system as a whole system. There are situations where the wife gets more. There are situations where the daughter gets more. There are situations when your mother gets more. There are situations 
where none of them get anything and goes to your grandparents if they're still alive or your grandchildren or your uncles or your aunts or your brothers and sisters. It depends on the situation. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I'm telling you it's a whole system. And the reason why it's been divided that way is because of how Islam puts responsibilities on duty and duties on each different person in the family with that wealth. I'll give you an example. Why would the girl get less than the, why would the daughter get less than the son in this situation? Well, because in Islam, it is a compulsory duty upon the males, the men of the family, to spend from the finances, from the wealth, on the women who are in need in their family. On their sister, on their daughter, on their mother, on their wife, unless they're not in need. Another example is that the women in the family, a Muslim woman, there is no financial obligation from her in anything. Anything. She keeps the wealth and that's it. But that double that the boy took, there is from that, there is a duty as he grows up. A duty to when he gets married, a duty to his sister, a duty to his children, a duty to his parents. The male has to do that, the man, not the girl. Another example is that when you get married, there is a dowry. A, well, dowry is the wrong word. It's called a mahar, a bridal gift that is compulsory. The husband has to give it to the wife. The wife doesn't have to give. Shouldn't there be fairness then? We, we say instead of the word fairness, we say equity. To put everything where it belongs. So you've got to look at the duties and responsibilities and you look at who gets what in shares. Everything is balanced in Islam. Financial distribution is balanced. In a nutshell, do you understand what I'm saying? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So brothers and sisters, the inheritance system is a compulsory system in Islam. Very important. And I cannot stress how important it is for us to have a connection with an organization, imams, uh, people who know, or even study it yourself if you can, and make sure to write a will if you know that your inheritance is going to be dealt with in the wrong way. I, I stress again, for people who convert to Islam, you have, haven't got a next of kin who is Muslim, please write a legal will. Don't just go and write it on a piece of paper. You've got to make it legal. All right, brothers and sisters? I'll stop here now, inshallah. And if there are any questions, uh, I'll be happy to answer them if I can. Akhi Bilal. Sister is asking, how can you make up for missed zakat if you don't know how much it was? It's a very simple answer. First of all, estimate. Estimate how many years you best think have passed. And it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. If you think that you're more likely six years than five years, then do zakat for six years. If you are sure it's five years, for example, do for five years. If you don't know how much it was, estimate to the best of your estimation. That's all. And ask Allah to forgive you for the shortcomings. Allah says in the Quran, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah does not place a responsibility and duty upon any person more than what is within its capacity. And part of that is estimation. You can't be perfect. Now,
if you're saving up to buy a house in the future, do you have to pay zakat on that saving? Brother Fatmir knows, mashaAllah, the inheritance system. The lawyer. Sorry, I said it three times now. Four times. Fifth time. I told you he's a lawyer, mashaAllah. That's six times now. <laughs> huh? So, yes. Yes. That savings that you have, if one whole year has passed, and it is above the threshold, the nisab, which is, who can tell me what the nisab was? 85 grams of gold, but we, refer, we prefer to go by the silver amount, which is 858 grams, which is about, in Australian dollars, about $500. If you go by the gold, as Brother Fatmir said, it'll be about $4,700. But it doesn't matter, because it's $100 difference. So if it's above the nisab, so if it's above, let's say, $500, let's go by the lesser amount. And if you've had it for one full Hijri year, you have to pay 2.5% of that, even if you've saved it up for a house. You know why? We don't know if we're going to live till tomorrow. We don't know if we're ever going to buy this house. Is that right? We don't know. But once you've bought this house and you had it, then you don't have to pay zakat anymore because you need it for your livelihood. 2.5% is nothing, brothers and sisters. It's a very small amount. Very small amount. And as Allah says, whatever you give of goodness, Allah will compensate you. Rasulullah said, مَا نَقَصَ مَالٌ مِّن صَدَقَةٌ Wealth has never diminished because of sadaqah. Nobody ever lost wealth and, and became poor because they gave charity. Nobody ever lost or became poor because they gave charity. Nobody. They made it because of poor decisions, because they wasted, because they... Lavage, they, they, they um, uh, uh, what's the word for it? They, they, they want to be, you know, they want to live a, a, a luxurious, lavaging life and they lost it, not because of charity. Okay, that's all I'll say about that. I think, brother, maybe before you, Abu Ayman? Yes, Tadda. Yes, 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 brother. Four payments, the four types, four types of wealth. Brother is asking, remember how I said there are four types of wealth that you pay zakat on. Brother is asking, is it either one or all of them? All of them, whichever ones you have. If you have savings of this much, and you have cattle and uh, sheep of this much, and you have stock, you have a car yard and you've got this many cars, and you have a farm that you're harvesting, each one of them has its own zakat. Because you know why, brother? If you have four uh, types of wealth... Do you, have, do you have profit from either or all? You're going to get profit from all of them. So you have to pay zakat on all of them. As you receive, you have to give. Does that make sense? Ayo. Abu Ayman, if you don't mind. You have a property. You have a property house. You rent it out. The zakat that you pay is from... Not the house, just the amount of rent you saved up for one year. That rent you took stayed with you for one year. If it's more than $500, you pay 2.5%. You sell the house? No, you don't pay any zakat on that. You don't pay zakat on the house that you sell. So, you bought a house, you wanted to sell it, but instead... You rented it. You don't have to pay zakat on the house anymore. You just, just the amount of rent you got for a whole year, if you still have it. If you still have it. If I got $20,000 rent 
and I still have all the 20,000 for one year, I pay 2.5% of 20,000. But I don't pay zakat on the house. Then I sell the house. I don't pay zakat on the selling. No. Because I use the house. I'm renting it. That's what Islam encourages you to work things. Yeah. If you have the house by itself and you don't rent it, just there, one year, you pay on the house. Unless it's used. The zakat is on al-mal al-muddakhar. The saved up wealth. That's it. Let's say you had $100,000 this year. One year passed, you pay 2.5%. The following year, you have a little bit less. You have 2.5% less. You pay another 2.5%. Now you have 5% less. Another third year, pay another 2.5%. That's why Islam encourages us to work our money. Keep it going. Not to save it and keep it there. Now, you get it? There you are. Bilal has a question from the internet. Yep. So let's say the sister's asking if I have money in custody of someone else. Let's give an amount. $10,000? Someone borrowed it from me. Or it's in their custody. Or it's in the bank. Okay? Someone's got it. And I'm waiting for them to give it back. If I know the amount and there is a scheduled date and one year has passed I pay zakat on it why? because I know the amount I know who has it I know that it's coming back to me and there is an agreed date I gave brother Ramadan $10,000 Ramadan supposed to give me the money Eight months later, eight months comes up, Ramadan says, I've had a rough time, Akhi. can you give me more time? I'll give you another four months. In that four months, guess what? One year has passed. Isn't that right? I have to pay zakat on it. All right? Huh? Now, if I don't have the funds to pay it, then I record it and I make a will. When I, once I receive it, I produce it. Uh, what was I going to say, subhanAllah? But if I gave Ramadan the $10,000 and Ramadan left the country, <laughs> he did a runner on me, or he left and he intended to come back, but I have no news of his whereabouts, Allahu alam what happened to him, I don't know, and I didn't hear from him, and the date is gone. Do I pay zakat on that? No. The conditions are, I must know the amount, I must know who it's got it, I must know that it's coming back to me, and I must have an agreed date at least. Then the zakat is due. But if I don't know, I'm in big, I don't know if it's going to come back to me or not, I have no communication, I have no contact anymore, then I don't pay zakat on it. Is that clear? Another question. Naam, Bilal. Two more. Yalla, tfaddal. Let's go. Ah, easy question, yeah. So if you don't have any assets or, or money for a full year, can you still pay zakat or is it considered the lesser charity, which is called sadaqah? The answer is it's considered sadaqah. And sadaqah, you get rewarded for it too. But sadaqah is a voluntary, so you can pay as much as you want, as you wish. Hmm. Last question from the sisters and we'll go to the brothers now. It's a good question. 
Does the ruling of inheritance apply to family members who are non-Muslim or is it just the Muslims? It is a unanimous agreement among the scholars in our Sharia that it is only to the Muslim. The non-Muslim does not inherit the Muslim. And guess what? The Muslim does not inherit the non-Muslim. However, however, if there is a benefit, like in Australia, in a country where a Muslim is doing it hard, they don't have family, and you know that wealth will help them get along in life, or even because they're Muslim, they want to benefit as Muslims in a land where they don't have the Islamic legal rights, Islamic legal rights. The scholars said that they can work around it. They can get their parents to write a will to include them in the inheritance. A will. So you know how in Islam, you can't write a will to say who gets what in inheritance. You can't do that. But if you're still living and you wrote a will and you want to give from your property to someone, you can, up to a third. So that person can take it. If And I urge, again, that's why legal wills are so important. Legal wills are so important. And there is a minority of scholars, they say, well, Muslims living in non-Muslim countries, uh, they lack some, Islam, some financial rights that would have been for them in Islam, right? Because of the community, because of the legal system in an Islamic state, country. Then these scholars, they said, it is better that this Muslim takes from it, but not more than a third, and uses it for their own strength and their own help. Now, brothers and sisters, is there another question, Bilal? Yeah. If somebody has uh, left behind a will to say that my, I want to give all my inheritance in sadaqah, in charity. So no members of the family who are rightful to it can take any. The answer is no. This is haram. And should you carry it out? No, you don't. Because Allah, because Rasulullah um, said, there is no obedience to creation if it means disobeding the Creator. That money, that wealth, we shouldn't use money, that wealth and property that you left behind, what, who did we say it returns back to? Who, who, who does it belong to? It belongs to Allah. So after your death, you have no more, you're not guardian over that wealth. Who has the, who has the only right to tell us what we do with that wealth? Allah. And he told us, there are members of your family who need that money. Uh, a man, uh, what was his name? A sahabi, I'll just say it very quickly. Um, Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, great companion, one of, the seven, one of the ten promised paradise. He came to the Prophet ﷺ before his death and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to pledge all my inheritance to the poor and the needy and so on. Rasulullah said no. He said, what about half? Actually, he said half. He said, no, not half. He said, what about a third? He said, a third is the absolute maximum and no more. Like he even wanted him less. And then he said, then your family, your wife, your children, your relatives, they're going to come to me saying, we don't have any wealth, Ya Rasulullah, do you have any donations for us? Is that what you want, Ya Sa'ad? He said, no. He said, as Allah says in the Qur'an, Allah said it in the Qur'an, that the inheritance is for the 
next of kins, the family, because you're not allowed to leave them without wealth. Your, your family are the ones who, are, who need your wealth. Because, let me tell you, I didn't mention this before, you know your zakat, it's not allowed to be given to people who are dependent on you, direct family. You can't give zakat to your wife or husband. You can't give zakat to your children. You can't give zakat to your mother or your father, your parents. You cannot give zakat to your grandparents or your great-grandchildren or your grandchildren. You're not allowed to give zakat to those people. Why? Because you are obliged to spend on, on them on a normal basis. The zakat of the people who are not obliged to spend on, on them. So imagine this person doesn't pay zakat to them. Probably maybe they didn't even pay sadaqah. And then the inheritance, they give it to everybody. Everyone benefits except the people who, are not, who don't have anyone to help them. That's the objective of it, is that Allah doesn't leave your family left like that. He said, leave it for your family, Asad. Okay? I didn't mention the eight categories of people who are allowed to receive zakat, but we're going to leave that now, inshallah. We'll just say the poor and the needy in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll just leave it at that. Ah, good. Yeah, well, do you have to pay zakat on your super and your tax? If you know what your superannuation is and one whole year has passed, you do not have to pay zakat. I'll tell you why. You don't pay zakat until the money is in your control or your possession. Superannuation is not in your possession and it's not in your control. Can you request your superannuation right now at any time? No. You have no possession or control over it. You can say where you want to invest it, but you don't know if you're going to live to take that superannuation. You don't have control over it. You don't have possession over it. You haven't given it in debt. Like as a, you don't have control, you have nothing, no say in it. So you don't pay zakat on your superannuation. On your tax. No, you don't pay zakat on the tax because that tax is no longer in your possession or control. Now if you get tax return, then from the day you receive the tax return, you count one year. If you still have it and it's above the nisab, you calculate all your wealth and you pay 2.5%. Easy. Yeah. So I answered a question for income tax. Income tax. You're talking about tax on property. Okay. Yeah, you're sold. Yeah. No. The, if you sell a house or property and you've got to pay tax on it, that portion of the ta okay, so that portion of the tax is already set for the government. So you pay the tax, you pay the uh, zakat. You actually don't even pay zakat on any profit of your house at all. You, 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 pay, you pay zakat when one whole year has passed on the savings of that profit. Yes, you can. Because that tax money, yeah, that, that tax money is not your, it's just with you for the time being, but it's someone else's, it's the government's. Even if it's with you, you don't pay zakat on it because it's not yours. It's not in your possession or control anymore. And you can control it, but it's not yours. It's the government's. You don't pay zakat on that. It's similar to superannuation. Same concept. Yes, Ramadan and then brother over there. Ramadan. Yes. If you write an Islamic will, the heirs contest it. Can they contest it according to Islamic law? 
or, to, or, or, or in secular law. Whether they contest it, if they contest the Islamic law, they're not going to get anywhere. Because if there's a judge in Islamic court, they're going to tell him, no, the Quran, we go by that. If they contest it in the secular law, it's a major sin. Major. Unless they're contesting after seeking the advice of the scholars and knowing that according to the Quran, it was unfair. But if they know that it's been distributed according to the Quran, not according to their whims, they've got to ask the scholars. Not me interpreting my verses as I wish. Because, mate, a lot of trouble happens with inheritance. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it blows your mind away, the amount of conflict and enmity that happens, subhanAllah, because of money inheritance. So when we use the secular legal system, thinking or believing that we are going to or intending to get something that the Quran told us is not our right in inheritance, it is a major sin. Major it's one of those sins which Allah has warned very sternly in the Quran. Haram. So don't do that, brothers and sisters. Mm. I think, brother, over there, I, I skipped him. Brother is asking, is it better to pay zakat locally or internationally? Honestly, zakat is wherever it's most needed. So you've got to estimate. If you think that locally there are people in need, it is preferable to pay for the people who are closer to you. Yeah, and your relatives, your family, your neighbors, if they are truly in need. Let's say I'm living in Lebanon. All my neighbors around me, I don't even have to go outside of just, you know, not even 200 meters. And my zakat money is already distributed. So I give, as, a rasul, as the, the common principle in Islam is, the principle is, the ones closest to you in relationship, and even... Even the, the neighbors, they are more worthy of the rights from you. Yeah, both. So, okay, so if they're related to you and locality, it becomes even, even more preferable. So let's say you have a neighbor who is also your relative. They come first. Let's say you have a neighbor but he's not your relative, but your other relative is more in need than your neighbor, you give to your relative. But if your relatives are okay... And you have friends who live a little bit far, but you have friend, but you have neighbors. You give to your neighbors if your neighbors are in the category of poverty. No, your siblings have a right to zakat. They are not. You, okay, so I'll tell you again. The ones that you are, allowed, you are not allowed to give zakat are the following: your mother, father, your children, your grandparents, and above, your grandchildren and below. Your wife, if we're talking to you, brother. These are the people in general who you're not allowed to give zakat to. As for the rest, your uncle, your aunt, your siblings, your cousins, your sister, they are entitled to zakat. Who? Siblings entitled to receive zakat. Now, speeding fines. Yeah, of course. The, the fines, you don't pay zakat on them because they're no longer yours. They're for someone else. Ah, oh, as a debt. A fine's a debt. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure, but it's not, it's not, according to the classifications of the Islamic principles, it's not a debt. It's a fine. It's not classified as a debt. No, no, you don't pay on any profit. Zakat is not given on profit. Zakat is given on savings after one year, and that's it. I can make a million dollars tomorrow. 
I don't pay any zakat on that profit. But if that million dollars stayed with me from tomorrow till after a year, I pay zakat on it. Naam? Yes, including the capital, naam. All of it. Uh, so, with shares, you count from the moment you put the shares in. Go, shares, shares. You put it in, let's say, I won't name any companies here, we're in the masjid. So, you give invested in shares, any shares, so long as it's halal. So, it's halal. From the moment you put the shares in, and it's above the nisab, so if you put $1,000, you count. One whole year passes, count how much you still have in the shares. How much have you got? You pay 2.5% of that. Yeah, just what you put in. Not the profit, just what you still have after one year. So it goes up and down, up and down, up and down, up, 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 down. One year, where is it? Where is it? Yeah, on the due date. No, it's nothing to do with the profit. It's, you just got to see after one year, how much have you got? How much have you got in your possession? That, so those shares, you're able to take them out. Isn't that right? Anytime. So long as you can do that, it means they are in your control and possession. You pay 2.5% after one year. If you don't know, uh, we said that before. If you don't know, yes, yes, yes. If someone owes you money, you don't know when they're going to pay. You don't know. You don't know. If you know that it's going to be paid to you, then you pay zakat. But if you don't know if he's ever going to give it to you or not, you don't pay zakat. Ah, you forgave him. You said don't pay. No, you don't pay zakat on that anymore. It's no longer yours. No, no, no more zakat. No. How do you determine who needs the zakat? Yeah, without embarrassing. It is true. It, it's, the scholars have spoken. That's a very good question. Scholars have spoken about when you give zakat to someone or sadaqah, it's preferable not to let them know like you personally, to come and give it to them. Give it through someone else. Because you don't want to embarrass them. That's number one. Number two, how do you know who, who needs the zakat? Well, that's based on your own research. You ask people that you trust. If they tell you so-and-so, and you give it to them, khalas, you've done your zakat. Your zakat is off your shoulders. Now, if they had lied, they had lied, or something, it's not your fault. That's their business between them and Allah. It's not your duty to find out if they're lying to you or being honest. Your duty is to ask people you trust. And I, I advise people, yani, if you don't know people you trust, you don't have much connections, go with Islamic organizations that are um, uh, registered you know, through a mosque or through uh, charity organizations. At least, you know, they, uh, and even, uh, so, in the Quran, one of the eight categories of people who can receive the zakat are the collectors, the ones who manage the zakat, you know, charity organizations, they, they manage it. They're allowed to take zakat themselves too from that money for their wages, their pay, going and coming. They're allowed. Why? Because Allah wants the zakat to continue. If the distributors of it take time off their family and their life and they can't get anything, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then, then what's going to happen is that the zakat system is going to start failing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even walqa'imina alayha, it's in the Quran, and those who um, are managing the charity work. Now, whether they're honest, whether they're not honest, is not my business or yours. 
we are not responsible to find out who lied to us and who didn't. They even lied to the Prophet And he used to say to them, listen, I will do based on my trust in what you're saying. If you are lying to me, then you are just using me to help you earn a place in the fire. It's like I'm feeding you fire. It's not my fault, it's your fault. And that's what Islam asks you to do, inshallah. Now, so the people entitled to zakat anyway, uh, the poor, the poor people are the ones who do have an income, but it's not enough for them or their family. The needy, the needy people are usually people who have gone through situations in life, operation, car accidents, bankruptcy, something like that. And they're needy. Zakat is allowed to them. But they don't have enough. They have some money, but they don't have enough for their you know, day-to-day living. The third type of category that zakat is allowed are the collectors of the charity. The fourth ones are the, a person who is a wayfarer, a traveler who has no home or homeless person. The fifth person is are those helping to free slaves, wherever you know, if there, are, if there were slaves and you gave your zakat to free them. That's another way. Number six is fi sabilillah, in the way of Allah. What is in the way of Allah? In simple terms, any program, project, service, uh, organization, people who are doing things to protect the Muslim community or to protect Islam against someone who is attacking it, yani attacking it, meaning they're attacking the Muslims and Islam. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, they're bad people. So you can give zakat to make sure that Muslims are protected, genuine Muslims. Uh, there's also the one called Safi uh, Sabilillah, anything that helps the services for Muslims other than so services for Muslims not services sorry anything that helps educate them to propagate da'wah to talk about Islam like for example let's say there are some people that go out and they've got Qur'ans with them Mus'hafs and they give to the people they talk about Islam you're allowed to give them zakat why? because they are helping to strengthen Islam uh, another one is, uh, uh, what is it? The Al-Gharimin, the ones who are in debt. Someone is in debt, unable to pay off their debt. You give your zakat to them to pay off their debt. That's also uh, permitted, alhamdulillah. And last one, وَالْمُؤَلَّفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ I, I left this to the last because it's, it, it concerns us. Those whose hearts are inclined to the Muslims and to Islam. What does that mean? Uh, the scholars differed a little bit on it, but I'll tell you what, insha'Allah, the, 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 the correct, well, what the majority of scholars agreed on. They are people who have converted to Islam newly. Why? Because usually people who convert to Islam, they have trouble transitioning from their old life. Some of them, their parents threaten them. Some of them, their family isolates them. 
They take away their rights. Some of them become homeless. Some of them have a very hard time. They get abused. So, even if they have wealth, you can give them zakat. Why? To make them feel that they are part of our community and we are here to support them. Not because they're poor or poverty, but they're struggling. Because they converted to Islam. The other ones, uh, some scholars, they said, those who are not Muslim, but you can tell they like Muslims and they have a liking for Islam even. And they're actively working to promote and protect and to help Muslim services and Islamic services. If they are, uh, even if they've got wealth, so long as they're not employed, it's just out of their own voluntary will, you can give them the zakat. That's according to one group of scholars talking about the school of thought of the, uh, the I think it was the Hanbalis and the Shafi'is. Um, so these are the types of people whose hearts are inclined to the Muslims and Islam. Brother is asking a good question. I like that question. He says, let's say there are needy people and I want to pay two years in advance of my zakat. You can give that two years, but it's not considered zakat. That second portion is sadaqah. Why? You don't know what's going to happen next year. Allahu alam. Isn't that right? Example. Just one example. If I said, okay, this year there's a lot of needy people. I'm going to give my zakat for this year and the zakat for next year. There are a few problems. Number one, what if I died next year? I've taken the rights of my heirs and given it to other people. My children... For example, they have a right to my inheritance. But I already gave it last year in zakat. It's not considered zakat. Because now I've taken away that right for another, for another thing that I... Yani, yani, I've called it zakat, but it's not zakat. This is compulsory, that's compulsory. I cannot replace a compulsory with a compulsory. They can't override. But I can give sadaqah, voluntary. Another problem is I may, uh, I may become... I may lose my money next year. I may lose my job. I may... Some, a tragedy may happen, God forbid. I may need that money. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you to look after yourself. Okay? So if you want to give more than the zakat that you owe, uh, more than the zakat that you owe, you cannot count it as zakat, so you're not off. What if next year you earned more money than you expected? You pay the difference. But the conditions have to be the following. One whole year has to pass, has to be above the nisab, and you have possession and control over it. That hasn't happened yet. So it will always be sadaqah. It will never be zakat according to the Islamic ruling. So don't do that. If you want, it will be sadaqah. Yeah. Okay, my brothers and sisters, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of questions about this topic, and I can go on and on actually. It's, it's huge. But I hope, inshallah, we talked about at least the basics that we can use in our lives. I'm sorry if I've got a bit too complicated in some places, but inshallah, I hope the main message has reached us and we know what to do at least at a minimum. Are you kind of satisfied? Give it a 5 out of 10. If you're a 5 out of 10, you've done well, inshallah. 10 out of 10. Alhamdulillah. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha.